This morning we have, I've got something very special for you. And so I want to uh, just kind of present it to you this, uh, this morning. Uh, a few years, a handful of years ago, I developed a relationship with uh, an individual that was on staff at Bethany Assembly of God in Adrian. And uh, I won't tell you that we met at Starbucks, because some of you have a perception of me hanging out in Starbucks all the time. But let me just say this, it's God-ordained, right? <laughs> so if you got an issue, that's okay, take it up with God, all right? He's my lion and my lamb, okay, so... Anyhow, so uh, Chris Clinchard and his wife Crystal, uh, but Chris and I kind of developed a relationship, and then um, a few years after we kind of met, uh, God called them into the mission field. And so Chris and uh, uh, Crystal are serving in Turkey currently. And we've been talking, Chris and I, every time they come in for, uh, you know, on break, we've been talking, hey, we ought to connect sometime and, you know, come down and, you know, uh, introduce you to the uh, people at Element. And so uh, this time he came in, he said, hey, we've been wanting to get together. Let's let's do something. So we reached out and began to talk. And I said, yeah, man, let's let's set a date. So I said, what do you got open? He said, this is it. I'm like, I'll take it. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, Chris is, is going to come right now and he's going to share with us the morning message. And I'm sure your heart will be blessed. Uh, just give a round of applause for Chris as he comes and shares with us. Good morning, everyone. How are you? This is not going to work for me. There we go. All right. Need my reading glasses just to see my notes this morning. I am, we are so glad to be with you all uh, this morning. I want to introduce my whole family to you. I think, do we have a slide there? The first one would be a picture of my lovely family. Yeah, the second one actually would be a picture of my lovely family. My wife Crystal is uh, right here in the second row behind Pastor Gail. My son Jacob is next to her. Our son Jonathan uh, is a senior this year at LCS. LCS had their prom last night. He rolled in about 3.30 in the morning, I think. And so uh, he was still asleep when we got up this morning. We gave him the we gave him the morning off. And then uh, my daughters Jessica and Jordan are downstairs enjoying kids' church as we speak. We are the Clinchard family. We are originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Well, I'm from Omaha. Crystal's from uh, farm country, Nebraska. Originally from Nebraska, born and raised there. Not only my wife and I, but all four of our kids uh, born there. Eventually, God called us to Michigan, to Adrian, Michigan, as Pastor said, where I was five years on staff as the kids' admissions pastor uh, there at Bethany. And now we live in Istanbul, Turkey. And, you know, I, I share that, and people often will wonder then, well, how did that happen? I mean, how from Nebraska to Michigan to a place like Turkey? Well, the short version of that story is that 10 years ago, uh, give or take a little bit more, I went, God sent me on a missions trip to Turkey from my church in Omaha. And as Crystal liked to tell people way back when, uh, I never came home. Went on a missions trip to Turkey, and in my heart, in my spirit, I never came home. What was intended to be uh, 11 days, 10 or 11 days of ministry to missionary kids in Turkey, literally uh, opened my eyes to things that I'd never seen and changed my life in ways that I never imagined, never considered. It brought me face-to-face, that trip brought me face-to-face with the realization that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that I was being sent to change the lives of other people. Now, not just in the context of that trip, but in general, as a follower of Christ, for me and for you, that idea that we collectively are being sent to change lives. And in fact, then on the flight home, after 11 days in country, on the flight home, somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, sitting in an airplane, 
praying and processing and trying to come to grips with everything that God was stirring in my heart, this new call, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that airplane. And he said, one day you will live in Turkey and pastor missionary kids. Well, more about that in a little while. I'll leave that story kind of there uh, because I want to be, you know, before I unpack a little bit more of what we do, uh, we're gathered here on a Sunday morning in church and we need to get into the word. Amen. So I want to share some, I want to share a little bit of our story, but my story doesn't really have the power to change your life, but the word of God has the power to change lives. And so we're going to open that up. It's sharper than a sword. It's perfect. And it's true. Uh, the opening of my eyes and the changing of my life and the circumstance of being sent, all of that together has reminded me of a story found in the book of John chapter 9. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'd love for you to open it up with me. Uh, it's great to hear it, but it's even better to see it for yourself, isn't it? And so uh, go ahead and take a look at that if you've got a Bible with you. The healing of a man born blind is this story. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this story. Um, it, but it's it's different. This story of a healing that Jesus did is different than other stories of healings. There are lots of stories in the Scripture, in the Gospels, about Jesus' healing. This story stands out to me because, first of all, uh, the method that Jesus uses is so unusual in this. We're going to unpack that in a moment. Secondly, the aftermath of the story. Uh, normally in the Gospels we see Jesus come to a certain place and he has an interaction with someone. There may be a healing, raising someone from the dead, something like that. And then the story, the narrative just sort of moves on. But in this story, we get to see the aftermath, everything that occurs after the healing in the life of the man. And then thirdly, uh, this story, I believe, is not just, not simply a story about a healing. That's what it is on the surface. But it's a narrative for you and I about what it means to be sent. All right? And so uh, I'm going to read the story to us, make a few observations that are good for us as believers, whether our mission field is in Istanbul, Turkey, or it is right here in Blissfield, Michigan. Uh, just sort of full disclosure as we get into it, I mean to urge you this morning to be sent yourself, to live a sent life. I mean to prepare you because people are going to react to you in different ways. The, a believer, a follower of Christ, who takes on that, that attitude, that condition of being sent and begins to live that out, people will respond to you in a variety of ways. And so I mean to prepare you for that this morning. And I mean to challenge you to consider this question before we even begin. To whom are you being sent? I'll share with you what it is for us, but to whom are you being sent? And then finally, I mean to ask you, uh, would you prayerfully consider helping us in our mission, in the place that we're sent? Before we jump into all of that, uh, in the next 20 minutes or so here, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that as we open up your word, you would, uh, you would breathe life into your living word by your Holy Spirit, cause it to flame up to life in our hearts, cause our minds and our hearts, our spirits to be open. Speak to us through your word today, Jesus, we pray in your holy name. And everyone said, Amen. So the healing of a man born blind. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, here is what we read. As he passed by, he, Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned 
or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. A few quick observations as the story begins. First of all, it's important for you and I to note something. Jesus, at the moment that this happened, was actually in danger. If you go back and you read in the end of chapter 8, he had just been in the midst of a debate with the religious teachers in a synagogue, and uh, they didn't like some of the things that they were saying. And it says at the end of chapter 8 that the people gathered there actually had picked up stones to stone him, were, were pushing him back and were getting ready to kill him. And he walked away from them. He got out of that situation because it wasn't his time. God was moving uh, around them and, and in that situation. And as he's going on his way, possibly right after that happened, with his life literally having just been in danger, he's walking along the way. And rather than fleeing the city or getting out of there, he, he takes the time to notice this man. The lesson for you and I is that uh, that we should not be afraid. Jesus was not afraid in that situation. God has not given you and I a spirit of fear. Whether we live in Istanbul or Blissfield, Michigan, or whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can face fearful situations. We face tense interactions, but we don't have to be afraid. In fact, we should not be afraid. Jesus was not afraid. Secondly, Jesus saw, in the midst of all that, Jesus saw a man. Jesus saw a need where his disciples only saw a sin. Right? The disciples see this wretched, pitiable man sitting there, born blind from birth, it says, and they immediately jump to, well, who sinned? Jesus, was it this guy because of his sin or was it his parents' sin? Like, they, they were all caught up in the sin of this man's condition. But Jesus saw through all of that and saw a human being. He saw a person with a need. Brothers and sisters, we have to train ourselves with the help of God's Holy Spirit to see needs, to see people, and not just to see the sin on the surface. Does that make sense? Ministry, listen, ministry is all around us if we'll simply open our eyes to see needs rather than the sinful condition. The story goes on, verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. So Jesus is now standing before the man here, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. You know, it's funny to me, this method that Jesus used, rubbing man or mud in the blind man's eyes, that method would normally make a seeing person blind, right? If someone comes up to you and and puts a big wad of mud in your eyes, you, a seeing person, will become blind. And, And yet Jesus uses this method, the complete opposite. It makes a seeing, a blind man see. You know what? The lesson for you and I, I believe, is that God's ways, His ways are often uh, exactly the opposite. They're counterintuitive to our ways. God says in the scripture, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God is over and above and transcends and he's different. And so we shouldn't count, we shouldn't just automatically count out when we sense the Lord leading us in a certain direction and look at that and say, you know what, that'll never work. That seems silly. That seems foolish. That seems unwise. It'll never work. Never count out God. When it comes to God, his ways 
are contrary and seem silly, seem foolish, but they're always effective. Secondly, this man came back seeing for the first time ever. Now, sometimes I'm guilty of this. Maybe you're guilty of this too. And you've, if you've read the scripture a lot, if you've been in your Bible a lot, especially over a long period of time, things like this, we begin to read them and not really stop to consider the magnitude of what just happened. This man, who was over 40 years old, in his 40s, born blind, had literally never seen a day in his life, had grown up and had lived decades in complete darkness. And after this encounter with Jesus, comes back seeing for the first time ever. I could, I could ask you this question and, and really the answer, let's be honest, would be no. I mean, can you even imagine what it must have been like to see for the first time ever? I mean, it, we, we say, yeah, but at the same time, no, unless you're in that situation. But it strikes me, it reminds me of when I first came to Christ. Maybe for some of you sitting here this morning, you can, you can think back, if you're following Christ at this point in your life, you can maybe think back to that day, that moment, that season in your life when you first met Jesus, when you came to faith in Him, when you responded to the gospel and your eyes, your spiritual eyes were opened for the first time. I was 22 years old. I can remember even today the newness of it, the excitement of it. I mean, I was, I was so hungry for the things of God in those days. I'd, I'd grown up in church, nominally Catholic, I knew sort of all the stories. I believed in God, knew who Jesus was, the crucifixion, all that. But I can remember that moment when it, when it became real to me. It became true to me and my, and my eyes were open and I was, I was changed into a new creation and God began to stir things in me and I began to read the scripture. And I mean, I just, I, I hope that maybe even these words this morning will bring you back to that moment. Consider that moment when you became alive in Christ for the first time. The incredible feeling of new life and of having your eyes opened like this man physically was having his eyes opened. We come at this point in the narrative to the reactions. We're going to see in the coming verses three specific reactions that people have uh, to the man's healing. As we read, you're going to see three different reactions. They are three different ways that people will react to us and uh, for the person, is the person doing the slides way up there? Hi there. Uh, the, there will be, the next three slides will actually have these reactions kind of written on them, I think. If you want to go to, yeah, stay right there with me. We'll go reaction one, two, three. So first of all, reaction number one, we're going to see that the people, the people there in the town were amazed. John chapter nine, verse eight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Now, first, I just have to stop here and say, it's one of the funniest verses in the Bible to me. This man has never seen anything or anyone in his entire life. Jesus puts mud on his eyes, 
by the time, it doesn't indicate, Jesus is not here. By the time the man washes and comes back, Jesus is gone. And they ask this guy, where did he go? He's never seen anything. He's never seen, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He doesn't know buildings, trees, other people, the road. Everything is new. And they're asking this guy, where did he go? Which street did he go down? How on earth is this guy supposed to know that? Isn't that hilarious? I love, I mean, they're, but... That's, it's part of the people's amazement. Have you ever been so amazed at something that you just, the words just sort of failed you? I mean, the people are so amazed. They're even arguing. It's a silly argument they're having. Isn't that the guy? Isn't that the beggar, the blind beggar who used to sit there all the time? And other people are like, well, no, I, I think it's just someone who looks like him. What? Someone who looks like him? Of course it's him. But they're so amazed at the miracle. They've come face to face with a miracle from God, and they just don't know how to respond. They're so amazed. When you begin to live a sent life, following after Jesus, wherever he sends you, whatever he's giving you to do, wherever he's telling you to go, there will be people in your life who will be that kind of amazed. And that's an awesome thing. That's worth celebrating. The the presence of God working in the life of a believer will cause some to be amazed and to glorify God. Reaction number two the authorities. And the authorities were angry. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. You know, we read that and we think, well, Jesus is a prophet, but he's so much more, isn't he? He's so much more than a prophet. But this man who has had his very first encounter with Jesus. He has so many unanswered questions. There are so many things he does not know. So he simply begins with what he does know. He's a prophet. I mean, he opened my eyes. He's There's something different about him. We have to start, brothers and sisters, with what we know. And then we'll, we'll continue to grow from there. You don't need to wait until you have it all figured out to begin to minister and to work in the lives of other people. People have questions. People come to you with needs. You see opportunities. And it's very easy for us in those situations to to not do anything, to freeze up because there are so many things we don't know, right? Especially if you're new in the faith. You say, well, I've, I've hardly read the Scripture. I've hardly had any time. There's so many things I don't know. And let's be honest, even for those uh, who've been following Jesus 25 years, we there's so much we don't know even even after that, right? There's so much we don't know. But start where you do know. Start with the answers you have. Minister to people as you have opportunity. Answer people's questions. And let me just tell you this, maybe take some of the take some of the stress of that off. When when people come to you, if people come to you in your life and you're sharing with them and they've got questions about God or about faith, about following Christ and and you don't know the answer, I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer if 
you will commit yourself to seeking out answers and getting back to them. Does that make sense? You don't have to have it all figured out before you begin to follow Jesus and do what he wants you to do in people's lives. Just start with what you know, just like this man, this beggar, this poor, you know, uneducated man standing before the Pharisees, the authorities in his religion, was still giving testimony. It was an incomplete testimony, but he started with what he knew. Reaction number three, his family abandoned him. We pick up the story in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind. This is the Jews are the Pharisees, the leaders. They're, they're not happy about this because we know that already Jesus, they saw Jesus as an enemy. And so they're, they're putting this man to hard questioning. They're trying to figure this out. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Man-fearing parents. You know, we've got to be careful because we, we are prone. We are prone to be more like them than we would like to admit in certain situations. God works in our lives, but when heat comes, when pressure comes because of it, we're tempted to disassociate ourselves from Him or to disassociate ourselves from what He's doing. You know, it strikes me especially because these are the man's parents. I wonder, when this particular couple gave birth to this baby those decades before and realized that he was blind, and now they're raising a toddler and he's completely blind, and his, his, his options in that day and age are so incredibly limited, I wonder how often those parents prayed for the healing of their child's eyes. Wouldn't it make sense? Lord, please open the eyes of our son. Please give him his sight. Please heal him, Lord. They must have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And now he's begging. He's, his lot in life is to beg on the street corner somewhere. And he's completely blind. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And yet, when the answer to their prayers came... They threw him under the bus. Because the Pharisees had said, anyone who confesses Christ, anyone who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, will be put out of the synagogue. Now that means a lot more than just be kicked, being kicked out of church. And you've got to go find a new church. That means being removed from uh, their entire society. The synagogue was the center of family's life to a Jewish person in that first century. It was the connection to community. It was a connection to God. It was a connection to business and making a living. It was a, a connection to family. And so to be thrown out, to be put out of the synagogue, was a tremendous threat. And this man's parents even were so frightened of that that they disassociated themselves from what was obviously a move of God in their own son's life. To respond that way when the answer of God comes uh, is, a, is a terrible thing. 
Well, now we see uh, the price he pays. You can go to the next slide. The price that the man pays, the loss of everything. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, called him back in. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking of Jesus. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love the simple faith of this man. Looking at these Jewish ladies, you want to become his disciples too? Is that it? Is that why you keep asking me? And they reviled him, verse 28, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know what God, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. What do you think of him? This man faced a challenge, but he stood on his testimony. This one's blind, and now I see. If this man were not from God, he could not have done that. Again, there was so much he didn't know about Jesus, but he could see clearly and knew this thing. This one thing I know. Brothers and sisters, stay faithful to Christ, no matter what pressure may come. The man loses everything. Did you catch the last verse? He was put out of the synagogue. He is now, he was already outcast enough as a blind beggar on the street. Now, as a healed and seeing man, he is completely put out of the synagogue and of the community. But that brings us to what he gains. And what he gains is revelation of Christ and a deeper relationship with him. We finish the story with the last couple of verses here. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus comes back to him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What did he gain? Really? He gained everything. Do you really believe that is the question. When I, when I say that he gained everything, think of this. He gains a deeper revelation of Christ. He goes from, he's a prophet, he did this good thing and he healed me, to bowing down at his feet and worshiping him. Jesus comes to him. Having stood the test of his faith, Jesus comes to him, draws close to him. He has an opportunity to worship at the feet of the King of Kings. Jesus reveals himself. I who am speaking to you and he... When you lose everything for Christ, you gain Christ. You get to, to lose everything, but to gain more Jesus, more closeness to Him, is to gain literally everything. And, and we say that. That's a nice religious platitude. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to urge you this morning to consider whether that is true in reality for you. We say that we believe that. But when we put our belief in that where we live, it makes a difference. When you, when you lose everything but gain Jesus, you gain 
everything. Jesus revealing himself to us. Going from seeing him as a prophet, seeing him in the way that we do in the beginning, to having revelation of him as the Messiah. That brings us to what I like to call the so what moment of the day. The blind man was washed. His eyes were opened in the pool of Siloam. And did you catch what the name of that pool meant in the very beginning of the story? His eyes were washed in the pool whose name means sent. This man was washed and his eyes were opened in the pool of being sent. And here's what that means for you and I. If you've come to faith in Christ, yours were too. Your eyes were open. Your spirit was brought to life again in the same pool, spiritually speaking, of being sent. That statement, that truth begs a question. A question. To whom are you sent? I can give you the answer for my family and I. Seven years after that trip in Turkey, uh, ten years before that, ten years ago, seven years after that missions trip to Turkey, God sent my family and I back to Istanbul, and to the ten nations of Central Eurasia. I think we have a map of uh, Central Eurasia up there, right there. There we go. All ten of these countries, Turkey, Iran, Azerbaijan, and all seven stans. It makes a nice little poem. All ten of these nations are Muslim nations. All ten of them are restricted to, to missionary activity. They're closed to missionaries. Six of the ten are former Soviet republics. We have the spiritual bondage and oppressiveness of Islam. We have the danger for missionaries of these countries being closed. We have the government corruption and the, and the economic hardships of the post-Soviet era all together wrapped up in this region, home to 465 million people, 827 distinct ethno-linguistic people groups, tribes, among whom there are almost none who know Christ, almost none who know anything about Christ, and for those few who know anything about him, almost no access to further information. Those three things constitute what we call in missions an unreached people group. No one who knows Jesus, knows anything about Jesus, or has any access to further information about him unless someone comes and tells them. Spiritually, economically, culturally, and linguistically, this region that you're looking like uh, looking at on the map are the ends of the earth. You know, it says in the book of Acts, we're to be God's, uh, Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, you're looking at the ends of the earth. Well, within this region, we have, as Eurasia Eurasia region missionaries with our organization, we have what we call the big dream. It's the next slide. The big dream is to realize a church planting movement among every one of these people groups in this region of the world, Central Eurasia. You can tell that's a big dream. It's not just a big dream. It's a God-sized dream. That's an impossible dream unless God works in the lives of those people. God is calling missionaries to central Eurasia by the droves, and they're bringing their children. These missionaries are not just men and women, young singles. These missionaries are families. That brings us to what we call the big challenge. The big challenge is that one of the most common reasons that missionary families leave the field, quit the work, is the hardship that their kids face. It's a difficult place for anyone to live and to minister, much less with children. Those missionary families 
working to plant the church in the, among those people groups in Central Eurasia face, their kids face the same challenges as they do. They make the same sacrifices. They do it all without the benefit of Christian friends in the city they're living in. Uh, oftentimes a church to go to, uh, any kind of youth pastor, children's pastor, anything like that. It is a very big challenge. And that's what God has called us to do. Our family, my wife and I, pastor missionary kids. We assist in church planning by pastoring missionary kids. You can go to the next slide if you would. Just like God said we would 10 years ago, discipling, encouraging, equipping, and preparing them to abide in Christ and to thrive in difficult places and to participate in the big dream. God has heard the cries of this generation growing up in the nations, just like he heard the cries of a blind man 2,000 years ago. He has seen our missionary kids living there in the nations. He has seen their need, and he sent us as inadequate as we are. He's changing the lives of our missionary kids. We've lived there two and a half years. We're back in the States now for what will be about a year of home assignment, doing this, coming to churches and sharing what we do, and preaching the word, sharing with our supporters and so on. And we plan to return at the end of August to that work changing the lives of our missionary kids, we simply get to be his servants, his instruments that he's playing, that he picks up and plays like a master musician. You know what? Some people are have been amazed at what God has done uh, in us and through us in their lives. We certainly are. Others are angry. We've got to be very careful with the authority structures and so on in Turkey uh, because others are very angry at the work that missionaries are doing in that region. And yes, we've even faced pressure abandonment, so to speak, from some of the people closest to us. My dad, just to quote one, told me uh, once upon a time, a few years ago now, as we were preparing for this mission, preparing to move, he told me on the phone one day, his exact words, you are ruining your children's lives and robbing them of a normal childhood. Now on the second point, I agreed. I was taking away a normal childhood, whatever that was, from my kids. They have not lived a normal childhood growing up in Turkey. But ruining their lives by following God's will for us. Brothers and sisters, it is not even possible. But enough about us. I ask you a question, and we're coming in for a landing this morning. The time is running late. I ask a question. What about you? What about you? The thing is, God has seen the need around you. Right here in Blissfield, He's seen, He sees those who are hopeless, hurting, lonely, and trapped, trapped in the destructive choices that they've made. He sees them, and He wants to open their eyes. He has already opened yours in the pool of being sent, and now He intends to send you to open the lives, the eyes of others. And that question begs another, and worship team, you can go ahead and and come up. We're getting ready to close. That question begs another question. To whom are you sent? First question. Second question. What will you do? What will you do? Will you go? Will you allow the master who opened your eyes to send you to open the the eyes of others? You know, it is not just your pastor's job to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus with people. It is yours. Your pastor's job is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of ministry. Church, uh, this church gathering is a celebration of brothers and sisters, but 
But the life of following Jesus, of living a sent life, happens outside there. Happens when you leave this building and you go into your lives. I have a warning for you. If you, uh, if you're considering these questions, where am I sent and will I go? Some people will be amazed. God will use you to do incredible things in the lives of people. You can depend on it. That's not Chris Clinchard's word. That's the word of God that says that. Other people will be angry. You will face pressure. You will uh, come up against people who don't like what God is doing and how he's using you. And a few will even abandon you. You know what? Even in Blissfield, Michigan in 2017, it is possible. I think the days are coming more and more and more. You could lose everything following Christ. But in obeying Jesus, you actually gain everything. Brothers and sisters, we are not the only missionaries in this room today. You are called to this mission. Some missionaries cross an ocean. Other missionaries just cross the street or cross the room, cross town. Make no mistake about it. We are all called. My family and I, we'd be honored by your help. We've got a table set up in the fellowship hall this morning. We'd love to have you come by and meet us. We've got prayer cards. We've got an opportunity for you to sign up for our newsletter. Connect with us on our Facebook page. We'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to meet you and hear a little bit about your lives. And if you are feeling stirred by the Holy Spirit to do more than pray, maybe he's saying to you, you need to give. We can help you with opportunities, ways to do that. By the way, we're also, we've got Turkish Delight at our table, and it's free. We'd love for you to come by. If nothing, for nothing else, just get a piece of Turkish Delight. It's really real. Most people go, Turkish Delight, that's like from Narnia, right? Is that really real? Yes, it is, and it's at our table. We'd love to meet you back there this morning. We'd we'd be honored by that. We'd be honored by connecting with you and having your help in our work, but don't neglect your mission. That's the bottom line, the last word for today. Brothers and sisters, having had your eyes open in the pool of being sent, you must wash the eyes of others too. After all, who knows but that you might be sent to open the eyes of the next Saul of Tarsus. We're all sent. We're all called to pray and to give and to go that the glory of God may shine and that the church may be planted not just in central Eurasia but right here in Blissfield, Michigan. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray for this people, this body of yours, Father, that uh, that you would so move in them and so work in their lives, God. So draw them, Lord, that uh, they, they couldn't help but be sent out, Father. I pray that you would stir that in them, God. I pray that you would cause them to consider, to whom am I being sent? Who is it in my life? Father, I believe that right now there are some in the room, there's a, there's a, a, a face already they're picturing in their mind. There's a name in their mind. They know who it is that uh, that needs hope in Christ. And I pray, God, that you would give them faith and courage, boldness, willingness to step out and go wherever you send them. Lord. I pray that Blissfield, Michigan would become a hard place to go to hell from because the people of Element Church are so passionate about sharing Jesus everywhere they go. Lord, I pray these things in your holy name today. Amen. Amen.